All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 8. It says, For as we have many members in, our, in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can open your word here, God, and just dive in and dig into your word father just thankful that you've given us eyes to see and ears to hear lord i pray that you'd grant us understanding and wisdom this morning as we look into your word and that if need be that you'd convict your people and comfort your people and edify your people according to your will in the name of christ amen so just real short in review um we we got into the application portion of Romans now, Romans 12 through the end of the book. Um, remember the first 11 chapters he's dealing uh, mainly with doctrine, teaching the gospel, teaching the implications of the gospel. Um, and then he gets into Romans chapter 12 and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, which he's, when he's talking about the mercies of God, he's saying, I beseech you by what I wrote in chapters 1 through 11. So we see the mercies of God played out and, and, and displayed to us in chapter 1 through 11, then he gets into chapter 12, and now he switches almost from teaching doctrine to now you need to be doing this. Now you should be acting like this. Now this is what your life should look like if you agree with chapters 1 through 11. And that's the portion we're in right now. And if you remember from last week, I brought out that Paul here, he's addressing a local church, obviously. He's wrote, he wrote to the church, which is at Rome, so he's addressing a local church, and that church would have an address, just like we have an address here. The church would have an address, and the, the letter that Paul was writing was to be deli delivered to that one local church. It wasn't to stop in Galatians, Ephesians, or Galatia, Ephesus, Corinth, and then make it to Rome. It went right to Rome. So this church was written to Rome, or this, this letter was written to Rome to the church there. And he's calling on them. He's not calling to, for the church universal, even though this will apply to the church universal. He's saying to you, and he says to those among you, to those among you within this church, the, this is what I'm trying to tell you to do. And we're still on that portion here. Um, for our three points, I was about to bring in some more review, but I don't, I don't really need to. For our three points here, um, we got one body, exercising our gifts and exercising mightily so the first point here is one body so this ties here these 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 verses right here tie into what he just said before that's why the four is there right four as we have many members in one body so it's so it's not to think of yourself this is verse three not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think but think soberly because god has dealt to you 
the measure of faith. For or because or therefore just as we have many members. And these should be our actions because we have seen and experienced the mercies of God and now our bodies are sacrifices, living, holy, acceptable unto God. So if your body is a sacrifice and God gives the calling and the gifting to be used for Him, there should be no question if you should be doing it, right? But before we get into the gifts, let's see something about this picture that Paul gives us here. It's a picture of your body. And he uses that to picture the body of Christ. Your body has many members, but it's all still one body. Just as the church, the body of Christ is made up of many members, but is one body. Now, mind you, Paul hasn't changed his focus here. He hasn't went from the local church to now all of a sudden he's talking to the church universal. He's still speaking to the local church, right? This is addressed to those among you. That's what Paul says. To those among you, this is who this is addressed to. He's saying, Church of Rome, you have many members within the walls of your church that are among you, and you all together make one body. He's not saying, Church of Rome, there is a church in Galatia that has different gifts than you have, so you should try to go and recruit some of those into your church. He's not saying... Now, there are Christians all over the world with all kinds of different gifts, and when we all come together, we make one body. Though that might be true, right? He's speaking on a local church level. Saying, within your walls there are many members, and all members have not the same office, but are one body. Now, obviously, I'm not saying Paul has never had a universal church in mind when he wrote, but right here, he is addressing the local church in Rome. And telling them to not think too highly of yourselves because God gifts whom He wills with what He wills. And therefore you should use that within the walls of your church to serve one another. That's the context of this. Because you are one body. Notice something else about the picture that's given. If we are one body... There's unity. By that I mean that just because the other member isn't doing what you're doing, or what we think they should be doing, they're still part of the body. Let's turn real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's another picture. There's so much. I couldn't, there's no way I could fit all of this in the message if I went to every, every verse that we could go to on this. But 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. It says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, body, whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where, would the, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? 
But now God has set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God, but God hath temp, tempered the body together, having given more abundant to, honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, the members in particular. And God has set some in a church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of, a, or of <laughs> miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. That's a lot to read. Almost said workers of iniquity. Notice the point of this, though. All parts of the body are necessary. It says it in verse 22. We, we must not all be apostles or prophets or teachers or have all the gifts of the Spirit, right? This is one of the things, you know, I left, I was part of the Pentecostal movement when I was young in the faith. I left the Pentecostal movement, but one of the things I always had a problem with with the Pentecostal movement was the fact that you had to speak in tongues or they deemed you unsaved. Well, the Scripture says not everybody has all the gifts of the Spirit. So maybe that's a gift that I just never had. We don't all have all the gifts of the Spirit. That's a fact. God has blessed each of us with our gifts, and we are to use that gift for the body. And once again, it's speaking of the local body. Paul, again, is writing to Corinth. He's writing to a church in Corinth. He addressed the church of Corinth, and he's telling them, within your body there's many members, and each of you play a part, and you work together, and you're one body. There's unity there. It's not, oh, God has gifted me in this area, and I'm blessing the church universal with it. I'm not doing anything for my local church, but what matters is that I use it for the church universal. Please show me in the New Testament where that was ever the case. Show me where men and women were detached from the local body and serving the universal body. You can't. And I say you're, you're in sin if that's what you're doing. God has clearly here commanded you to be used within the local body. To use your gifts for the local body. It's a command. You don't get to change the command either. There are no loopholes to God's commands. When He speaks, we are to listen. And He says twice here, speaking to local body of believers, to the church of Corinth and to the church of Rome, to use your gifts to serve the members of that church. Paul didn't say to Corinth. Now some of you need to go to Rome and use your gifts. I see Rome was lacking in this area. You person here in Corinth, you need to go to Rome and fill that spot. He did not say that. He said serve within your local body. 
He didn't say, and this is very prevalent in our day, is it not? Rome needs your money. So some of you are gifted in that area, you need to send that church some money. He doesn't say that. Actually, in Romans, what we just read, giving was a gift. There's people with the gift of giving. But what does he tell them to do? To do it with simplicity to those among you. Our gifts and talents are first and foremost to be used within the local church. Why? Because we are one body. This is our body here, and we need to take care of our body. That is a command in Scripture. And, I'm, and I, don't, don't get me wrong with this. This is not saying we don't help out other Christians outside the walls of this church. But first, we need to work on our own church. God has placed us each in this body, and we are one body, and we need to take care of this body. Not necessarily the body of believers in another state, city, or country, but we are commanded to take care of this one. And if we aren't doing that, then we're in sin. If you can sit right here and see your brother have need that's sitting in the chair next to you and you don't do anything to him, but you're sending stuff over here and you're helping out over here and you're doing this, shame on you for every single one of us. However, we as a local body have, have unity. That's what the body is, right? We're, my body is, is unified. And that's the picture there. We work together. We have the same mind. If a part of our body is slacking, we do our best, best to bring it back up to the rest of the body. But we think and move together. That's having unity, right? It's not complaining about another member. It's building it up. This member's slacking over here. I can't believe they're, they're doing this. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to come alongside and say, what can I do to help you, brother or sister? That's the picture. It's no accident that God uses a picture of a body to describe us because we care about our bodies and want what's best for it, right? Every single one of us in here, whether we can look at our diets or whatever we're doing, but we still want what's best for our body, right? And we should be doing the same with the body of Christ. And that's the point of this portion of Scripture. It's that we each have a gift and calling, so lay it down for the church. To go into our next point here, our exercising our gifts, I'm going to go back and just read this. Verses 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that rules with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness exercising our gifts. Paul mentions prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, ruling, showing mercy. Paul gives us seven gifts here, and I don't believe these are all the gifts of the Spirit, but, but he gives these, these gifts right here to prove a point. And the point is, you have seen the mercies of God displayed to you in Christ. 
You are in Christ and have different gifts by the Spirit. So now use them, but use them rightly. Like I mentioned last week, this gifting is something that you should know about yourself. And if it's not, it's something that you should be seeking to find out. How has God gifted me? It, it takes self-examination to figure this out. But it's also helpful with, when you're within a church with like-minded individuals, right? They can help you with this. To put it like this, sometimes we may think we're good at something, and we're actually not good at it. If y'all used to watch, they don't really do it anymore, but American Idol back in the day, right? Those people would get up there, and they actually thought they were singing good, and they were horrible. And Simon Cowell was shorted to tell them they were wrong. But this is sometimes we do this, right? We think, well, this, I'm so good at this. And on the person on the outside looking in is like, ah, they ought not to be doing that. We may think, this is, this is my gift. This is the spiritual gift that God has given to me. But your brother or sister can come alongside and say, actually, I see you're very good over here. Why don't you go over here and do this? Maybe you're teaching. And it's obvious to everyone listening that, you, that they aren't learning or growing. Maybe you weren't called to be a teacher then. Maybe that's not your gift. Maybe you think it's giving, but every week when the plate comes around, you get all angry because you've got to put something in there. Well, this is my gift. I've got to give to God. I'd say that's not your gift. Our gift is what we're wired to do, if you will. It's what God brought us through in life up to this point, and we're to use that within the church. In our life experience, what do we see? We see if we're good at something, we see if we're bad at something. And then we seek to use that which we are good at to help the community of faith. However, I'll say that sometimes these gifts are not what you would naturally do. Take, for instance, it says prophesying there. This here is speaking, is foretelling the Word of God. If you know the difference, there's foretelling the Word of God, and then there's foretelling the Word of God. Foretelling the Word of God is something that like Isaiah and Ezekiel did, that they, they, they spoke the Word of God before it happened. Then there's foretelling the Word of God, which is also prophesying, and that's preaching. That's something like Spurgeon or Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones does what I'm doing right now. That's the foretelling of the Word. That, that is prophesying according to Scripture. And I'll personally say, that I never did anything like this before Christ. There was 0% chance you'd get me up in front of a whole bunch of people to speak. And I even say, to be honest, to this day, apart from this subject right here, I'm not getting up in front of an audience and speaking. However, that's something that came when the Spirit came. To quote Martin Lloyd-Jones on this subject, he says, preachers are born, not made. When you're born again, He gives you that fire. You don't go to seminary and learn how to have this fire. Learn how to have this, this, this what, what the Spirit, what the, the Scriptures call this unction. Nothing can teach you that. The Spirit gives you that. These are gifts that the Spirit gives to His people. He blesses us with them. Though we can see them manifest when we're out in the world doing sec secular work, man, 
I almost messed that one up really bad. <laughs> they are to be used and polished within the church. And I think as a church, we should encourage this as well, right? Maybe somebody is dead set on teaching, on being a teacher or a preacher, and we see they are not good at it. We ought to help them. Just because it's your gift doesn't mean you'll be perfect at it either. It means you're gifted with it and another might not be. However, we can still co help come alongside someone if they're gifted in that area. Even if I'm not gifted in the area. Maybe I'm not gifted in the area of teaching, but I can see that my brother struggles with teaching. I can come alongside and say, here's some pointers that might help. This is how I learn. I'm not a teacher, but this is how I learn. And the way that you're doing it is not helping me learn. Especially this comes true with those young in the faith, does it not? I'm sure we've all seen this. God saves this 20-year-old. He's like, I'm called. I feel called to preach. We ought to encourage him. And help the brother out in that. And by that, I don't mean by encourage, I don't mean we make him a pastor in our church. And, or we just go start a church because so-and-so said he wants to preach. But to come alongside him and encourage him in his study and Bible reading. Come alongside him and encourage him in his prayer life. And maybe slowly work him into preaching. But in this, also realize that maybe he's not called to do this. Maybe it's just the zeal of youth coming out. Then once he gets the opportunity and he gets stage fright and can't even talk. I'm called to be a preacher and then you put him in a pulpit and he's like, I don't, I don't know what to say, guys. Maybe you're not called to be a preacher. Maybe you're called to do something else. Notice it, it wasn't just prophesying there in that text. There's more. Or maybe his doctrine's all messed up. You know, Maybe, you know, he's saved, so he knows the gospel, he believes the gospel, but when you get into any of the doctrine of the faith, he's got it all twisted. Maybe wait a while. Or if he's never in his Bible or never reading or studying, that's a clear sign you aren't called to that ministry. Maybe your gift is actually in ministering, what the text says right there, which, is, which would be more like a deacon's work. It'd be more service-oriented. It's laboring to serve God's people. Though you have that zeal, maybe it's misplaced. Maybe all your zeal is, wanting, is going into wanting to be a preacher, but all along God has gifted you in ministering. God has gifted you in service. Or maybe God has gifted you in giving. Or it says in showing mercy. Maybe God has gifted you in showing mercy, which is being compassionate, brother or sister in the faith. Isn't that crazy? That's a, that's a gift of the Spirit. Being compassionate to one another. That's also a command for all of us. But there are certain people that are far more compassionate than others. I can tell you that is not my gift as a spirit. And some of you may confirm that. I struggle with compassion. I do have it, but it's not in abundance. People don't look at Jeremy and say, I think he's the most compassionate person I've ever met in my life. I'm like, quit being a wimp. Get up. 
It doesn't come easily. But guess what? We need that in the church, do we not? We need those brothers and sisters that are compassionate. Those was uh, Barnabas. We need those Barnabases. And if you're gifted in that area, keep doing it. Don't think, well, the church doesn't have an official title or some or for someone like me, so therefore it's not important. This is all important. It's all important. Listen to what Calvin says on this. Paul speaks not now simply of cherishing among ourselves brotherly love, but commends humility, which is the best moderator of our whole life. Everyone desires to have so much himself so as not to need any help from others. But the bond of mutual communications is this, that one, no one has sufficient for himself, but is constrained to borrow from others. I admit then that the society of the godly cannot exist except when each one is content with his own measure and imparts to others the gifts which he has received and allows himself by turns to be assisted by the gifts of others. You, do you pick up that? God hasn't given you everything. God hasn't given me everything. He's placed us in community because I'm needful of what you do. And you are needful of what I do. And therefore we come together and we work together. You see, this is by the sovereign pleasure of God that He bestows His gifts on us. And as Calvin says, it's to keep us humble. That's really what Paul said too, right? To not think too highly of yourselves, but to think sober thoughts because God deals the measure of faith. You need the other brother or sister's gifts to come alongside your gifts to do what God has called all of us to do. And to take it back to verse 3 where it says, God has dealt to you the measure of faith He has given you, and He has given me the measure of faith He's given me. It's different. He's gifted us all in many different ways. And like he says in verse 6 about prophesying, he says, prophesy according to the proportion of faith that was given to you. This applies to, to your gifts and talents as well. Use them to the proportion of faith, faith given to you. If your measure of faith is in pastoring, do it. If it's in a deaconate, do it. If it's in street preaching, do it. If it's in abortion ministry, do it. If it's in podcasting, do it. If it's in teaching children, do it. If it's in giving, do it. But by all means, do it. And don't let anyone discourage you in it. But also, don't think too highly of yourself when you're doing it because we're all tied together by the blood of Christ and the Spirit we have dwelling in us and we need each other. So serve in the area that God has gifted and called you by the measure of faith which He has dealt to you and lift up your brothers and sisters in their area as long as it's biblical. Let's go into our last point here to exercise mightily. What God has blessed you with in gifts and talents is not only about doing them, but doing them to the best of your ability. I think this is somewhat missed a lot within Christendom. It's the idea of hard work. 
It's the idea that just because God has gifted me in this area, now I can relax knowing that I'm blessed in that area, right? No. The answer is to work harder in that area. God has blessed me with this in this area. He's given me these talents and gifts in this area to work harder in that area. And whatever gift the Lord has given to you, let me say this, He has not given it to you for you, but for Him. The gifts are borrowed, if you will. He gives them to you to be used for Him. As James says, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights and whom, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You say I'm gifted in this area? Well, praise God. What are you doing with it? Nothing but saying I'm gifted in this area? We see this much within the Reformed realm, don't we? We see the young man, and I, I say these things become, coming from experience of myself. We see the young man who's always reading theology books, right? He says, I'm gifted in understanding theology. Well, that's not what the gift is to be used for. It's to soak it up. It, I, I use the picture of a sponge. It's to soak up. If you take the sponge, you put it in the water, you soak up all this water, and then you take it over here to the surface and spread it out. That's what you're to do with theology. It's to soak it up, to deliver it to someone else. It's a tool to be used to further God's kingdom or to edify His church. It's to be used for others. That's the point of this section of Scripture. It's to lay down your life for the church and God's glory, and by doing so, you lay down the gifts you have for His church, and you do so as mightily as you can. And even when you can't be mighty, His strength is made perfect in our weakness. It's not about doing everything perfect, brethren. And I know from speaking with some of you, and I've actually something I've struggled with myself as well, we think we can't do it because it's not perfect. God never called you to that. He called you to lay down your life for Him. He is perfect, and His perfection is displayed in our weakness. I want to do this ministry, but I have to have all my ducks in a row. Everything must be perfect before I start. Well, let's stop that kind of thinking, right? Just get busy, or you'll never start anything. Everything must be perfect before I take that first step. You're never going to start anything because nothing's ever perfect. And I know some of you, where God has gifted you, but you're reluctant in stepping in to, to do it. Whether it be from this perfectionist mindset, which is just, uh, I say this as one that struggles with this, it's a waste of a mindset. It's, it's a horrible mindset. Everything must be perfect all the time. So, so we, we don't step into something because we have this perfectionist mindset, or maybe it's a fear, fear of failure, or whatever it is, right? It doesn't matter. If God has blessed you in that area, get to work. And work hard. Actually, in our context in Romans, it says in verse 11, it says, not slothful in business. Y'all know what a sloth is, right? They, I think they have them at the uh, aquarium now. If you don't go to the aquarium, you can see a sloth. They're not running races. They don't have sloth races. 
It, it, it's slow. It, it's being lazy. So you're not to be like that in business. That's what it says. That's the command of God in Scripture right there. Be not slothful in business. Now I'll bring this out more when I get there. But the idea is not to be a sluggard. To be a hard worker. And especially where God has gifted you within the church. You know, I said this before, and I'll say it again because this is our context. If you are hard at work, and I mean very hard at work in your ministry, in your gifting, it's almost impossible to look at your brother's ministry and criticize or to think too highly of yourself because your nose is in the grind on your ministry. This is far too lacking within the church universal, and I pray it's not lacking here at Faith Reformed. We should be known as hard workers. And I don't mean just in the church. Though our gifts and talents should be applied to the church, I believe this in all areas of life. Are you a hard worker? You should be seen as one, as the, or one of the hardest working people by the people around you. But especially within the church. What do you think being a sacrifice is? It's not to only show up to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. That's not being a sacrifice, right? That's not. Are you a living sacrifice? You just wake up right before church starts and run in here? Haven't brushed your teeth, your hair, nothing? Just, I'm going to come hurry up and get there so then we can go home and eat and go on about our week? That's not a sacrifice. It's working hard for the kingdom. Can you say you're doing that? Can you honestly look in the mirror and say, I'm giving my all for the kingdom? That's the call from Scripture. That's the call from God. This isn't just Jeremy speaking. And if it was, I would say you could take it or leave it. This is God's words that say you are to be a sacrifice. It's God's word that says you are to use your gifts within the church according to the proportion of faith given to you is God's word that says that that is your reasonable service. That is your rational worship. That is your logical worship is taking everything he's given to you and lay it down for the church and the advancement of his kingdom. Now I'm just trying to reinforce what God has told us all to do and for some of us to come alongside one another and to push one another to work hard for the kingdom. It says, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We all know this next verse because it, this first portion gets quoted a lot. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Talking about church, right? As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. He says in that, to provoke one another into love and good works, to consider one another and to exhort one another. So not only should we be working hard for the kingdom with our gifts, we ought to be provoking one another to do so as well. We should be exhorting one another to keep pressing forward into the kingdom, to keep laying it all down for His glory. And why? And Paul tells us at the beginning of the chapter, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I don't want you serving alongside me because I've pressured you into it or just because I've exhorted you into it or I, 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 I've 
guilt tripped you into. I want you to serve alongside me because therefore the mercies of God, because you read and you understand that I'm a sinner that deserves hell and God saved me from that and I'm willing to lay my life down. And as we read from the confession this morning, no matter what it may be, to, to forsake it all. And if death comes, death comes. How could you not, or how could you look upon the mercies of God upon your life and not lay down your life for Him? How is it possible to look at our lives and see the sins we commit, knowing we deserve the wrath of God upon us, then look upon a Savior who fulfilled the law for us, took our sins upon Himself, and was crushed under the Father in our place? He got what we deserved upon that cross. He soaked up all the wrath of God that you deserve, then was buried and rose from the grave, ascended to the right hand of the Father where He makes intercession for you as your high priest. And you're going to be a lazy sluggard that doesn't use gifts that He gave you for His kingdom? That doesn't exist. Those people don't exist. I know because Scripture declares to me that when God saves someone, He causes them to obey Him. So if you're in Him, there's no doubt in my mind that you will lay down your life for Him. Now I do know that sometimes we do need provoking or exhorting by the Word of God, but His people will serve Him, and they will serve Him with all their might. You point to me, someone who does nothing for the kingdom, and you can rest assured that that person does not know the risen Savior. That's a fact. Turn with me to la one last portion of Scripture here. Matthew 25. In verse 14. This is Jesus speaking here. On Mount Olives. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered them unto them his goods. Now, obviously, the man traveling into the far country is talking about Christ, and his servants talking about those that are supposedly following him. In verse 15, And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability and straightway took, took his journey. Then when he had received the five, five, then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them another five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged into the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants comes and reckons with them. And so that he had and so that he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents, came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. 
Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strolled. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord and answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathereth where I have not strolled. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he that and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a lot in that parable there. The, the couple of things I want to see. The two servants that were profitable believed the master's words. The one that wasn't was an unbeliever. And it's clearly displayed in the fact that he was cast in the outer darkness. God doesn't cast his followers into outer darkness. God's people will serve him and grow God's kingdom. That's the picture there, right? He's given ten talents, he goes and creates, or five talents, he goes and creates five more talents. But those that are Christians in name only try to keep it all to themselves. And it is manifested that they are unbelievers and they are cast in the outer darkness. And I don't say any of this to scare people into working because if you don't know Christ, all the work in the world will not save you. However, if you're in Christ, notice what it says. To whom that is faithful over a few things, I will make ruler over many things. Be faithful in what God has given to you. Work hard for His kingdom and His glory. And lay down more of your life's gifts, talents to be used for Him and within His church. Amen. Is it, does that keep saying that? Will you turn it off? There's an on-off switch on the back. I'll just go ahead and take this off. Now I'm going to start yelling. To those in the back. Now to our application portion. It's the call to faith and repentance. To the unbeliever first. This is not a call for you to get to work to get to heaven. That is blasphemy and heresy. The call for you this morning is to repent and believe upon the Son of God. You stand condemned before Him because of your works. And no amount of works you do will ever earn you heaven. Your good will never outweigh your bad. You are eternally in debt because of your sin and you need an eternal payment to take care of that sin. That's what was provided for God's people in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the eternal Son of God who came down and kept the law, never sinning and fulfilling righteousness, who went to a cross as a righteous one, yet was treated as though He is the worst of sinners, crushed under the mighty hand of His Father for the sins of His people, then was buried and rose from the grave for the justification of His people, ascended to the throne and sat down victorious over sin and death. 
And that's the only eternal payment that has been or will ever be made for sinners. So the call is, if you're a sinner here, to repent and believe upon Him. He can take away your sins. And only in Him is a perfect righteousness that is required to enter into heaven. Without His righteousness, you don't go to heaven. And to the believers here. It's time to examine our lives and believe God when He called us to something. And quit doubting. I think God has, has called me to serve in this area, but I keep wondering if He really has, so therefore I'll just wait. How about, is it sinful? No. Is it a good thing? Yes. Would my brothers and sisters in the church benefit and approve of it? Yes. Then what are you waiting for? How about this? Brothers and sisters in the faith, keep encouraging me to do this, whatever it is, fill in the blank. But I'm not sure if that's where I'm called. How about do it? And if you're not called to it, it'll be obvious. Not because it's hard, because pretty much whatever ministry you do is going to be hard. But because it'll fail. But why not try it? Just believe God's people that this is where you're called to and get to work. And not half-heartedly either. Even if you're reluctant, work as hard as you can in it. That's the only way we're ever called to work is hard. So if you're, you're going to do ministry, it should be done hard. I don't just mean official ministries either, like we often say today. But ministry means service. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to have some title with it or even any recognition with it. It's just do what God has called you to do. And that could be just being a greeter at the church. Just greet the people to walk in. Or helping set up and tear down. We don't have an official office for the people that help set up and tear down. Or maybe just cooking meals for people. Or whatever it is, right? Just do it. God, believe God's promises that He says, Whosoever shall give drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of, the, of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Even giving a cup of water is ministry. So don't look down on your gifting, but serve mightily in it. And our last point here, a call to war. It's kind of already been dealt with within the, the doctrinal portion and the message as a whole, but it's to get to work, right? If you, if you pick up any call to war, it'd be, it's to get to work. That's what Paul was commanding this church in Rome to do, and the, the command is for us as well. You are part of a body of Christ. You have seen the mercies of God, therefore get to work. Use your gifts to come alongside your brother or sister who has different gifts to serve God's people. This is what happens within the church, right? And when it's done effectively, the church prospers. So that should be our mindset. It's to come alongside this brother or sister that I might not even agree with completely, but work together to advance God's kingdom. 
And you know what's great about all this as well? Even though I might not be gifted in a certain area of ministry, sometimes I get a taste all these other areas. Because you're gifted in it, and I come alongside you and I help you, I get to see what it's like. Sometimes it takes us out of our comfort zone, right? And into another realm that we'd never be part of if we weren't with that said brother or sister. And maybe you'll find yourself skilled in that area as well. Which you would never know if you didn't get go wading into those waters with someone who was gifted in that area. But here's the big idea behind all this, and I think our main call to war today. All of your life should be ministry, which is service. All of your life should be service to God and His people. We talk a lot here of wanting a community, right? But this is how the community of God works. Remember the church in Acts? Selling everything they had and combining their resources for what? So they can go play the lottery? So they can have a comfortable place to live? To advance the kingdom. They did it willingly too. And what does it say about the early church? One of, one of the one things that is said about the early church is that they turned the world upside down. They sold everything they had and became a community and they turned the world upside down. You want to see, you want to reverse the way our culture is going? Give your life to the service of God and His people in your local community. It's one person at a time. One church at a time. One community at a time. One city at a time. That's where we're headed in history too. The gospel is going forth to the nations and the scriptures tell us, Psalm 72 says, all nations and kings will bow before Him. However, it starts small just like a mustard seed. So don't be discouraged because you may be small. Because our church may be small. Our God is big and He has said to us, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We shall reap if we faint not. Keep working for His glory. glory. Keep helping brothers and sisters in the faith. Keep preaching the gospel to the lost around you. And it says, and we shall reap. And Paul says, the very next verse after that one right there, he says, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. He says, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. That's Galatians 6.10. So let's get to work for His glory, and not just work, but work hard for Him. And to quote Paul again in Colossians 3.23, he says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. He says, whatsoever you do. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. What are you doing? Whatever you're doing, the focus is on the Lord, not men. So work mightily for Him and His glory, for the advancement of His kingdom and the glory of His name. Amen.